Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM. 760 in Hawaii. We are once again live here on Super Bowl Radio Row. And when you're on Radio Row, you got to be joined by a Super Bowl champion. We are here with Marshall Newhouse, who won a Super Bowl. And that was the one in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's in Dallas, um, my hometown of all places, and my rookie year. So I'm like, it can't get much better than this, right? When you win a Super Bowl in your first year, I mean, you got to imagine, especially with the team that you were on, like, this is how it's always going to be. And Dan Marino talked about that. You know, when he went uh, to the Super Bowl his first year and he lost, he said, well, that's fine. Like, I'll be back. Unfortunately, he never even got back to it. Um, when you look back on it, did you, did you like, appreciate it? I mean, it's probably hard to in your first year, but did some of the vets say, man, soak this up because you don't know when you'll be back? Yeah, notably, we had uh, Charles Woodson on our team, incredible Hall of Famer, and, you know, he broke his um, collarbone in the Super Bowl game, but – all the way leading up to that entire year was just him relishing the run we were on. And like, I, I would see it in his eyes and I would see it in his, his speeches pregame and the halftime of how much this means and how rare this is. And so, you know, my naivete as, as a rookie, I was like, we were very good and we were going to continue to be very good. Of course, we'll get back. But, uh, in reality, I, I came to learn that it's just, it's not easy to get it back. I mean, for example, the next year we were in 2011, when I became a starter, we were 15 and one first round by. And, you know, we, I think, on paper, we were the best team in the league. Broke offensive records, touchdown records. Aaron was MVP. But you, you, you don't, you know, you get a, a bye week and you don't show up. The New Giants kind of beat you in a, they beat you, but it was fluky. And then they go, they go on to win and you're like, we're better than that team. We're better than who they beat. And so you realize, hey, you cannot take any of this for granted. All the little stuff that happens throughout the, the league, about throughout the year, holding guys accountable, being accountable yourself, um, and just relishing every moment of it. You realize very quickly, just how, you know, difficult it is to synergize everything to get to this point. It's such a rare thing to be able to hold the trophy. Describe what happens in the postseason, because you were not on this this Packers team before, but when the the Giants have gone into Green Bay twice in their history and uh, have been a far superior team, like in in both years, I think they were like 10 and 6 during the season, and they kind of go on. What happens to a team once the postseason goes? Because... You're from Texas. Uh, you know, the, the Cowboy fans are for years like, we're 12 and four. We're, uh, and, but then something happens in the playoffs. Describe for fans out there what happens when the postseason starts. I mean, yeah. I mean, the NFL is already a, you know, a margins league, margins in personnel and talent evaluation, margins in offense points and all that stuff. And the playoffs only magnifies that. So all the mistakes are magnified. Uh, the mismatches are magnified. And if you're not a team top down who's ready to, who's just prepared to take advantage of every opportunity, you know, 
Uh, for example, the New England's of the world, the reason that they were able to win so much, both with a combination of Tom Brady's greatness and Bill Belichick's greatness, was people forget they just took advantage of every opportunity, every situational awareness moment, whether it's like kick it here, go for it here. Um, you know, there was a moment where he was like, Bill was taking advantage of like the false start rule to move a, a punter back. He was the guy that started that and little things here and there that add up and then playoffs only magnifies that. And so if your team is not equipped by either experience or guidance, like really good leadership to take advantage of those moments, uh, a team that should be better on paper can lose. And so, you know, Green Bay's run to our Super Bowl, we barely got in the playoffs. We were 10 and 6. Aaron Rodgers kind of goes on a heater, but we were the ones taking the ball away, not making the mistakes, not dropping the passes. And so all that stuff combines and teams that are on paper just less talented or just less cohesive can just go on these runs versus teams that don't take advantage of the moment. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Mike McCarthy because it's crazy to say that a coach who's won uh, 12 games to three consecutive seasons would, would be on the hot seat. But I think Cowboys fans are like, when are we, you know, A, finally just going to get to the conference championship game, which they haven't since 1996. Um, what was Mike like to play for? And, and again, when, when, when people talk about him being a coach, they point to the fact that he's won a Super Bowl and that he's had great seasons. Um, I guess just generally speaking, your thoughts on him as a coach. Uh, I enjoy my time with him as a coach. I think he's a leader. He's a teacher. You know, more of that is geared towards the offensive side and specifically the quarterback. But uh, he's a guy who's been around a lot. He's led, you know, he's had talent, but he definitely knows how to, like, build a team. And so it's crazy that, you know, in a place with such scrutiny as Dallas, that they can have the records they've had. And then, yeah, the lack of playoff performance. And then there'd be so much scrutiny, so much so where people are calling for him to be fired. And, you know, it's funny that people, because Jerry's so forward-facing. They assume that he's going to make a rash decision that just has literally never been him. He's a businessman at the end of the day. And, but yeah, Mike McCarthy himself has had a lot of success. And if, you know, in football, it can be so binary. And I think, you know, to the detriment of both coaches and players and their legacies, where Mike McCarthy, who's got the Super Bowl in 2010, a 15-1 team in 2011, a 12-14 that made the playoffs in 2013, and then a team that made the playoffs in, in 20, uh, or 2012 and 2013 that we just ran into the uh, Jim Harbaugh and the Colin Kaepernick and lost to them four times in two years. Those were incredible teams. 2014, uh, onside kick. They're going to Super Bowl. They're probably going to, like, just, if you put the context behind it, he's had positions to be there. And sure, I'm sure he would take some accountability himself, but so much has to go right. And so, you know, to uh, judge harshly on any QB's legacy or any player's legacy without the proper context to me is unfair. Now, this is not, we're on the fairness business. I understand that and results matter and all that, but, um, he gives you a chance to win. And so other people have to do their jobs as well. Um, but we're seeing now how difficult it is. Bill Belichick has went through three very tough seasons, um, where he's now out of New England. We never thought that we'd utter that sentence. And so it's so, what have you done for me lately? And it's so much about performance in the high pressure moments, but we cannot forget about the success that gets you to that point. Because that is as legitimate as anything else as well. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've played for some really fantastic coaches and franchises. Bill Belichick is a name that um, whether he didn't uh, get hired or perhaps he didn't like the like opportunity um, out there, um, my, my guess is that he'll be back next season. Well, you played uh, for him and with the Patriots for one year. What was that like in... Um, I'm so fascinated by like cultures. Like when you, when you join a team, what is that culture like? I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was just a wild year. You know, I started actually in camp with, uh, New Orleans. 
So I was there from May through the end of, end of June and then went back for a training camp and got hurt at towards the end of training camp and got injury settled and was still planning on re-signing with New Orleans. But when you get injury settled, you're technically a free agent, da-da-da. So I was rehabbing at home and got the call. So I go and work out for the Patriots um, and was on my way home. And Bill, who does personnel, he kind of waited around because he's tinkering on the edge of the yeah. roster, called me when I was on my way home and I had to return around. So I signed in New England on a Wednesday morning, get thrown right into meetings, right into a walkthrough with Tom Brady, and I start at tackle on Sunday. And so I end up starting, you know, 10 games left tackle. And so that was just a whirlwind in the season. But what you realize is that, you know, everything there is about football. It is very demanding. And so, you know, I guess it's pejoratively now the Patriot way. But I think it ultimately comes down to just like a high demand, high accountability situation where, again, everybody – can get coached Tom Brady all the way down and that that leaves guys understanding that I have to do my job here and you know the do your job thing and then Bill's always looking for margins he's looking for an edge everywhere from the rules he's he's as a guy who's a statistician who's there by his side all the time they have people that are reading through the rule book any new changes places we can arbitrage and so in the NFL where things are kind of so tightly packed with talent this is the best of the best you've got to be looking for an edge and he's always looking for an edge on top of that you're just highly, it's a highly demanding environment. And so I think some guys vibe with that and some guys don't. And I was a coach's son. And to me, I got there and I was like, it was a little bit of a shock, but ultimately I settled in and I was like, this is what it is. And ultimately, if you get a, if you're like, I understand then they have a chance to win and win big, um, guys, but there's a lot of buy-in from guys. And so, um, it's misunderstood unless you're there. Um, and I don't think it was this like nebulous, opaque Patriot way. It was just like, you're very demanding. Tom Brady's very demanding. He was an incredible teammate. Bill Belichick, very demanding. It's just the way that it is. And it's funny. You're like, isn't every team like that? And it's like, not to that extent, because there's people that don't see the game in that way. They don't see all these little moments for advantages uh, and, and arbitrage and, and, and just the minutia of it all. And so not everyone's built for that. And so it's just a different place. Having played for the number of teams you have, I think how quickly do you realize – whether it's culture, whether it's talent, or whether it's something else where, like, you know, again, you've been on a championship team. You know what that looks like. You've been on a 15, you know. Um, how quickly, whether it's in, tra- in training camp or once the season starts, where you're like, 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 I'm going to do my best, but this isn't a, a great situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, of my 11 years, I made the playoffs eight different times. but And so um, I like to think that, you know, I, I had something to do with that. But also, like, stepping into certain places, you do see a stark contrast between the teams that made the playoffs and teams that didn't. And I think on a most basic level, there was just company, company-wide, I put that in quotations, company-wide accountability. Uh, and the best type of accountability was player-led, where there were veterans in the room who the ownership and coaches allowed to run things, you know, run things to a certain extent, but self-police. And if in practice, things just aren't right, there's not a need for a coach to blow his whistle and scream and get mad and get red and have steam blowing out of his ears. A player was like, Hey guys, that's not us. Let's do it again. Let's get it right for, you know, wherever that might be, wherever the, the mistake might be. And the best places just did that. There was an entrenched level of accountability from player to player on that level. And so ultimately not needing a coach to, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, crack the whip all the time, um, leads to me, I think, sustained success and so um that was a big difference between the teams that were like positioned to win and the teams that just weren't there 
we covered the uh, Chargers, and you talked about Jim Harbaugh and, you know, what his San Francisco teams were like, and we've seen what he's done. I mean, the track record of success he has where he goes to a program that's kind of on, uh, you know, that's not doing that well. Um, how, I mean, again, you, you didn't play for uh, Jim, but from playing against those teams, seeing what he's done in college, I think there's a lot of feeling that the talents there with the Chargers – once Jim comes in there with that culture, how, how quickly, I mean, it happened very quickly, like in San Francisco. Do you think that he can turn it around quickly? I think he can, but I think it's unfair to hold him to that same standard, even though he probably holds himself. But um, I think you just have to give it time, but I think that he can change it because ultimately what his teams do is there's a level of physicality and assertiveness that I think closes the gap. If there's a talent gap, if there's a, a mismatch gap where, you know, the game is just overall less bluntly physical than it used to be. And so he, you know, he makes up for margins where he might not have an advantage with physicality across the board. And so there's just a mentality from top to bottom, from the secondary to the offensive line to everyone. And I think Chargers have the talent, so if they get guys to buy in on that, um, they're going to be a team you reckon with because there's a lot of talent on that roster. And their position, I think, to do really well. Last question for you. Uh, again, we got the Chiefs. We got San Francisco. Kind of was surprised that the 49ers are favored. You know, the Chiefs have been here before. You know how important it is to have that championship experience. Your thoughts on this game on Sunday? Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm done betting against Pat Mahomes. Um, I, I think I look back to the game, uh, Super Bowl game against Tampa when he didn't have the great, greatest protection. They've done a great job of supplementing their tackles. Um, this year in pass protection with play action and chips and bumps. And so getting Pat an extra half a second to a second for Kelsey to get open and then a second weapon being reliable, whether it's MBS or Rasheed Rice is going to be the difference in the game. And then ultimately Isaiah Pacheco, they do a great job of popping runs with him, excuse me, and holding the other defense accountable in the run game. And so I think that'll be the difference. And then Brock Purdy on the other end, his ability to play to his standard. He doesn't have to be Superman. They've got enough talent around him. But they have to stay ahead of the schedule. They, last, you know, the NFC Championship was one of their biggest comebacks ever. They weren't known for that under Kyle Shanahan. But generally, they are best when they're at par or with the lead. And so they're going to have to really do a really good job of staying ahead of the chains, ahead of the, the pace in the game. So, Thank you so much, Marshall. You're amazing. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Awesome. Back here on Radio Row where we're uh, you know, going to continue to have guests here and, and uh, talk to other uh, folks. Thank you so much. And, um, so yeah, we, we have a few more guests who are, uh, gonna, gonna be coming up in the next segment. Um, but just to kind of set the scene for you all here on Radio Row, uh, you know, whether it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, those are the big days. Again, we've been here since, um, Monday. Monday's sort of like the calm day here on Radio Row. Uh, it ramps up. It's, you know, get, gets a little bit more happening Tuesday. A little bit more Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Those are the, those are, those are the big days. Those are the days where you walk around and you see Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith and Dana White and Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. It's really a who's who here. Um, but again, 116, 116 radio stations from around the country are here, uh, sprinkled in. You have a podcast from around the world. We talked to a couple of guys who do a pro football podcast in New Zealand, one in Australia. So, I mean, the league is really trying to make this a global 
uh, spectacle. And it really, it, it has been. It's been that way for years. But I mean, now in terms of having actual regular season games, you're, you're going to have um, a game in Brazil upcoming. And obviously, they've been having those games in uh, London and Germany. But as I look around here from our position here as Super Bowl Radio Row, we are at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, and as I reported and as uh, we uh, talked about on the show yesterday, the NFL has come out and said Las Vegas is now part of that rotation. You know, we don't know exactly when the, the next Super Bowl will be played here, but it will now be a part of that uh, Los Angeles, Miami, New Orleans, Tampa, you know, where you, you, you can guarantee once every um, 10 years you're going to get one. And it may be sooner than that. I mean, look at what happened at SoFi Stadium where um, they're hosting the Super Bowl in 2027 following having it in uh, 2022. I mean, so, I mean, they're getting, uh, you know, one just five years after the last Super Bowl that they hosted. So, again, you're going to see Vegas be a part of that. And what the league told me, and I talked to two people with the league, uh, they just love the footprint. They love the fact that Allegiant Stadium in its close proximity to the Strip, uh, essentially connected by the Hacienda Bridge, to the Mandalay Bay, to the Luxor, and the significance there is the Mandalay Bay is the me- is the media center. It is the media hub. It's where we're at right now for Radio Row. It's where the NFL experiences. Um, so that's sort of one of their main hotels. And the Luxor is the media hotel. And and I posted this on Twitter. I mean, a lot of people gave a lot of grief uh, to the league saying uh, the media's designated hotel is the Luxor. By the way, the media can stay wherever they want. But uh, the Luxor rooms are pretty nice. We're staying there for a couple of nights here. Um, Very affordable. $45 $45 uh, per night uh, before you get into the re- resort fees and taxes, which you know, doubles that price. But, um, I mean, I've stayed at far worse hotels during Super Bowl week. So, um, and again, you know, you kind of, uh, expand that to the, the Excalibur. Then you go across the bridge to, to New York, New York and the MGM Grand. And they just love that footprint where essentially you can fly into Las Vegas, uh, to take an Uber or taxi to your hotel. And that's pr- pretty much it in terms of like, you don't need to rent a car. You don't need a, you know, really move around a lot like everything is right here so i would totally expect the super bowl to be here uh back in las vegas uh similarly similarly to los angeles where it might be back within five or six years or something along those lines um but again as people walk around as i look around here ufc president dana white is here um Pat McAfee is doing a show. Rob Gronkowski is here. Shannon Sharp is here. Club Shay Shay in the house. Um, and so it's, it's a really fun experience to kind of see all these, um, you know, former players and, um, sports officials and luminaries. Uh, the first year where we were at Radio Row, and you can't really call it that, was back in Tampa during the pandemic. This was uh, February 2021. Um, there was no there was no one here uh, then. So, And then you kind of moved that along to Los Angeles in, in 2022, and then Phoenix last year, 2023, and then Las Vegas. I mean, I, I was talking to a couple of people with the league and they said this is the most requested 
uh, Super Bowl in terms of media requests, credential requests, space requests for the radio row. I think everyone who has a talk show, whether it's a podcast, whether you're on the radio, they want to be here. Um, and again, it's a, it's a kind of interesting where, you know, you're, you're sitting here doing the show and a publicist is coming up to you and handing you a piece of paper. You know, do you want to talk to this player? Uh, again, kudos to Marshall Newhouse for just coming on and chatting football. 90% of the folks walking around Super Bowl radio row are pitching something. So it's basically like you can get, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes with this player if you plug, you know, this pizza chain or this soda or something like that, which is fine. But um, kudos to Marshall Newhouse, who, by the way, how amazing was he? I mean, I, I definitely think he has a future um, in television or talk radio. Uh, his f- f- father was a coach, so maybe he wants to get into coaching. But um, yeah, we'll be... Um, Walking around here, trying to get some more people here on Super Bowl Radio Row as we lead up to big Super Bowl Sunday, Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers at Allegiant Stadium. Um, so yeah, as we're looking around, looking to see who might be the uh, next, le- next guest. Let's leave it there for now. When we come back more from Super Bowl Radio Row, when we come back here live from Las Vegas during Super Bowl week, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back for more right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Back here on Super Bowl Radio Row, Justin Pugh here. Justin, how are you doing, my friend? Doing great. I heard Hawaii, Southern California, Vegas. Where aren't we? We are at all the hot spots, all the spots where we get like, you know, some like ocean and sun and stuff like that. I, I want to get to this first because you're here with Love Sack. I love Love Sack. Um, tell me how this partnership came to be. Yeah, so I, I had a Love Sack beanbag, and that's what they're most famous for. I had one in my bachelor pad when I first got drafted, but some people saw my viral moment when I came back to the Giants this year of like saying Justin Pugh straight off the couch. They're like, well, what couch were you sitting on? I'm sitting on a love sack. So that's where the partnership was born. The Long Brothers, Chris and Kyle, actually kind of like, you, you got to do a partnership now once they saw it. And that's what we did. And, and now I'm partnering with Love Sack and, and helping them out with their new stealth tech uh, sectional. Has stero- stereos in the couch, subwoofer in the couch, cup holders. I just had a newborn baby. She's two weeks old and two dogs. So you can throw the, the couch cushions and take the, the covers off, throw them in the wash, use that. Yeah. My in-laws are here helping. We can turn the love sack into a queen bed. They can sleep on it. So we have everything covered with love sack. 
Stick being, I, I, I don't know if whether you've heard of Super Bowl Radio Row, if this is your first time. What is this experience like walking around and talking to all these people? It's like it's like going to the deli. It's like going to the butcher. It's like a meat market. I, I've been here, playing 11 years. I've been here a few times. And everyone's grabbing you. Hey, come speak here. Hey, come talk here. So it's been unbelievable to partner with a brand like Lovesack. Support a great a great brand. And then also talk football, which I love so much. I do my own podcast, Networks with Justin Pugh, talking about the business of sports. So I love to be able to talk football and what how it's impacted my life. How have things changed? Because guys are very like a entrepreneurial now in terms of, you know, uh, with their brand. You got a podcast. You got a partnership with Lovesack. Um, did that happen during the course of your career? Did you talk to the Long Brothers? Because they did an amazing job. When did that happen? When I saw and met Larry Fitzgerald for the first time, I would see Larry Fitzgerald always working outside of football. So if you can be a Hall of Famer on the field and a Hall of Famer off the field, why wouldn't you be? And then another guy, Kelvin Beecham, was a tackle and played with us in, in Arizona. He's another great example of what to do off the field. And as your career comes to, again, uh, to an end, like it will for all of us, you have to know what's next. So really, my passion is real estate. And I've been working in real estate with a real estate developer. So once this ends, I'm either going to do the, bro- I'm probably going to do broadcasting and some components still work in the real estate world. And that's due to the guys like, like Larry Fitzgerald. What is it like having a podcast and still being involved with the game? What does that entail? And, and talk about that. It's great when you win. It's tough when you lose. And obviously we had some, some tough games this year. We had some great games this year, but to still get up and answer those questions and do the podcast when things go tough. It just, it's who I am as a person. It's how I want to handle myself. You have to be at a good point in your career to do that as well. You look at a guy like Tariq Hill or Michael Parsons that have done that really, really well. I think that's something that is going to become more of a, of a standard in the NFL. I, I started a company with this podcast. It's called Athlete Podcast Network, where we provide that backend support for athletes. And we work with a couple guys right now. But I saw as you build the brand, you can use it for whatever you want. I was able to use it to get a deal with the New York Giants because the fans had my back. They heard directly from me while I was coming back to the New York Giants. So for us to control our narratives and own that IP and not have someone else own it is is, is hugely important. You look at media now. I mean, it does seem like that's the pathway. You know, I mean, you look at like traditional media trying to figure out a way. And I think fans like the authenticity when they hear from the straight, you know, they hear from the uh, players. Uh, were you like always comfortable with that? And at what point did you get comfortable? Because again, I mean, you know, players um, sometimes don't want to talk to, to, to the media. When did you get comfortable with that? When you get drafted in the first round by the New York Giants, you better get comfortable with the media. And then when Odell Beckham comes onto the team and the media 10Xs overnight, you better get comfortable with the media. So for my for my first stint in the NFL, my first pass with the Giants, it was media all the time. And I loved it. I loved being a part of it. I had other brand deals back then and, and I've continued that. It's part of the reason why I went back to the New York Giants because – there is no city like New York. Don't, don't get me wrong. California is great. Hawaii is amazing. But New York has this energy about it. And that's what drew me back. What is it like to play uh, in front of those fans? Again, a rabid fan base. And again, I, like I've said this, we love Los Angeles. We're in Los Angeles, Hawaii, Vegas. Um, there's a lot happening. With New York, there's a lot happening. But they have such a passion for their teams. What is that like playing in New York? It's It's... Second to none. That's the reason why I went back. Now, I grew up in Philadelphia. I know what that fan base is like as well. I grew up in the Northeast. And the Northeast is some of the most rabid fans because it gets cold come December, playoff time football. What else are you going to do but just sit back, have a couple beers, order a pizza, and watch the game? And it's part of the culture of the Northeast. Um, I love playing in New York. I love the fan base. I love everything about it. And it's I never wanted to leave. I wanted to be a giant for life. Fortunately, I was able to go to the Cardinals and play for another great organization. But I came back to cap off the career with the New York Giants, and uh, that, that meant a lot to me. What players are doing in terms of post-career 
uh, you know, the amount of money Tom, uh, you know, Tom Brady will make at Fox Sports and Tony Romo and Troy Aikman, you go down the list. I mean, do you think a lot of players now more, and again, you look at the Kelsey brothers with their podcast, is that something more players are focused on? Like even at the beginning of their careers. There is so much money to be had with the new age media and how people are consuming it. You look at a guy like Pat McAfee, he's probably a poster boy for how you can come from the NFL to then go to, I think it was the Barstool for a bit. And now he's at ESPN and might be their highest paid talent at ESPN. Guys are realizing the value of, of, of leveraging their brand, leveraging their platform. And it's a scary thing to jump into that water, but that's why we created the company, Athlete Podcast Network, to support guys in the back end. So you don't have to flip production or help come up with the creative. You just go be the talent. And uh, I'm learning that, you know, firsthand, I'm, I'm going to dip my toe into the broadcasting world and try that out um, and, and, and take a few things on. So it's, 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 it's scary, but exciting all wrapped into one. Podcast network. I mean, do you, do you, is it just players or do you, do you work with you know content creators and who are some of the other players that you um, have now? Yeah. So literally I was the guinea pigs. We just started out with me and my buddy Alex and I, we've known each other for years. So we're like, all right, we'll do your show first. We're in some talks with some other families. Yeah. We have one player's wife that we're going to be working with, a content creator, and a, potentially another player. So it's it's so infant right now yeah. that I, there isn't anyone that is is officially on the brand yet. But like we're helping those guys out free, free pro bono because we see the value in what it did for me. And we're going to do a story about my career and how I use my own podcast to help leverage, to help get my deal done with the New York Giants this year. And use the fan base as like pressure to help the GM get this deal done. I think all those things have really just shown the value, to, not only to myself, but to my partner and what other people can get from it. Just on that a couple of times. So what happened? I mean, like, did the fan base say, we want Justin? If you could explain, if you could talk about that. Please. Yeah, so I was the first round pick for the Giants from 13. I played there for five years. I left to leave in free agency. I paid to go to Arizona. The Giants wanted me, but obviously, you know, through free agency, you go to the highest bidder most of the times. And after that deal was done, I realized the value of going back and playing in New York for my real estate career. If I wanted to get into broadcasting, so the Giants said, hey, we're going to offer you a practice squad spot. That's all you're going to get. Veteran minimum practice squad. And well, I said, all right, well, I'm going to come back. I'll prove to you in one game. So I built up the hype that I was coming back through my podcast. And I said, hey, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to come back and help build toughness, trust. I'm going to handle the media. And I'm going to play damn good football. So I went out there and did just that. Went out there Sunday night football sooner than I should have been out there. There was an injury to the left tackle. I stood out and played left tackle, which I haven't played in 10 years. Played well. And then the next day, I said, all right, I'm not going to play on the practice squad anymore, Joe Shane, New York Giants. you got to sign me to a real contract. And we discussed this prior, too. I told them I was only going to give them one game on practice squad, and then I needed to be put on a real salary. And I had leverage. I had just played a game. The fan base was behind me. I had that viral moment straight off the couch. And at 12 o'clock on Tuesday, I was told Joe Shane, I texted Dayball and the coaches, hey, I won't be there tomorrow. We're not getting a deal done. And uh, and eventually, it was, he knew the pressure that probably was going to come yeah. from the fans. And it was good pub at the time. We were one and six. The next day, I take a picture with Joe Shane because we had just beaten, who was it after that? We'd beaten the Patriots or someone. He took a picture with us straight off the couch on a love sack with me, million views. So we realized like you have to keep the fans involved. And by doing that, it built me, it built me good rapport with the fans and the team knew they had to keep me around. To whatever extent you're comfortable touching on this. I mean, we, there's been a lot of publicity about how the Cardinals, um, are not the like, the best franchise again having played for the new york giants and then going to the cardinals if you can compare it and did you know pretty quickly like okay this is not quite what i'm used to 
Yeah, I'm also a member of the NFLPA. I think there should be just a standard across the board. There's things that the Cardinals do better than the Giants. I mean, like the practice field, your quality of life, like things like that are great in Arizona. Facilities is where we have to make a jump. And there's a report card that comes out every year by the NFLPA now about teams. The Cardinals had some poor ratings two years ago. They fixed a bunch of different things. I think if you look at the money coming into the NFL right now, it's it's it changes on some of the ownership. But the Cardinals, their business is football. In, in New York with the Giants, you have the Tisch family as well that injected a bunch of capital, and they made their money elsewhere. So it's different dynamics of how these ownership groups came together. The Cardinals are doing a great job. There, there's a lot of good things happening there. I love playing on that field. It's, the, the stadium at State Farm is unbelievable. Got a bad rap in the Super Bowl, but that was a turf thing. From it wasn't that wasn't the organization's fault whatsoever. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons of each. And the Cardinals, if if they don't keep up, guys will see it and they won't sign there in free agency. How does the college game, because I, when I think about your company, I think that there's a lot of uh, kids who like want to do a podcast. You'd be like, hey, bef- before you get drafted, uh, how has what, what's happened with college of NIL changed things? The NIL is the wild, wild west. This transfer portal where guys can come and go as they please. I am all for players getting paid. We just need to find some structure. You see this year of Michigan winning the, the national championship. Now that everyone can pay their players, all the talent isn't just at one school like Alabama or Georgia or other things like that. So it's great for college football. Syracuse, where I went, just got a new head coach. We're now getting guys from Georgia and Texas A&M and Alabama. So the parity amongst the league will be better. We have to figure out some things and tweak it, but guys getting paid and helping build their own brands is, is hugely important because you never know if there's going to be a catastrophic injury and that guy may never play again. College players need the same support that NFL guys get. Last question, your thoughts on the game. Again, I think the, these are the, the, the two best teams. San Francisco slightly flavored. Surprised by that just because of the Chiefs' success. Your thoughts on the game on Sunday? Patrick Mahomes, the best player in football versus the best team in football. If I could build a team, I would build it like the 49ers. Great defensive line, great offensive linemen. You're not paying the quarterback that much money, so you can spread the wealth around. I think they had the most talent, and it shines through. 49ers win by three, 31-28. Awesome. Justin P with Love Sack. Now I got to get a Love Sack, too. Uh, so thank, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. It. Thank you. All right. Justin P with Love Sack. Just awesome that he was able to uh, join us again. Like I, I walk by that store every day and now I'm kind of motivated to maybe get a Love Sack again here live on Super Bowl radio row. Uh, a lot of people are going to swing by and, and uh, talk to us during the week. Um, but again, still surprised that the line is what it is. The 49ers are favored. Um, it's fluctuating somewhat. Two, two and a half, maybe three. Uh, I thought at some point that we, we might get the Chiefs like either favored by a point or it'll be pick them. We, we, we still have time, but, um, surprised when you look at the sustained success that Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs have had, that they're not favored in this game. Uh, I know that during the course of the season, the 49ers have been the best team. But when I was watching the Chiefs this season, I mean, the one thing that I kept going back to is, this looks like a team that's going to flip the switch come playoff time. This looks like a team that is, you know, I don't want to say going through the motions, but let's see how they do come come playoff time. And everyone said, you know, when they went to Buffalo, you know, they, they've, they've never played a playoff game on the road. They went to Baltimore. They went to Buffalo. And now uh, they're here in the Super Bowl. And listen, I mean, I'm, I, I made no no uh, mistake about it. I mean, I'm I'm picking the Chiefs. I think I think it'll be very close. Uh, it'll be very similar to maybe the way it was a year ago where uh 
tight game, tie game, Chiefs win with a field goal um, late. But, you know, just looking around here on Super Bowl Radio Row, and there's a lot of people around here. I want to see if I can get this guy really quick. Nick Hamilton, can you join us? We have a, a couple of minutes, my friend, if you could have a seat. I've been trying to explain to folks what Super Bowl Radio Row is like. Um, compare this again. You know, we were coming post pandemic a little bit when it was in Los Angeles. You were in Phoenix. What is Vegas Radio Row like? It is absolutely chaotic. First and foremost, thank you for having me on, Arash. I always appreciate it. Um, it's chaotic, man. It's, it's, it is so hyped up. It is like Radio Row on, no pun intended, steroids, right? So, I mean, it's like when you look at just the, 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 the chaos and then it's like the, the, the calm before the storm on a Monday or a Tuesday and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's just bananas. So yeah, it's, this is, this is hype, man. It, it is absolutely Vegas lived up. What was your expectation of the Super Bowl being here in Las Vegas? Again, you've spent some time here. You've covered events here. Um, you've covered the Super Bowl, not in Vegas. How has this again? We're kind of like at the middle of the week. How has Super Bowl in Las Vegas? lived up to the expectations oh it's absolutely lived up to the hype man i think it's it's vegas the, the hosting committee did an outstanding job as far as making sure that they had a year in advance to prepare i think the nfl I, don't, I think they had an idea but i don't think they had quite the idea of what it was going to be like not just with radio road but just all of the the, the 900 events that are going on throughout the week uh the players uh from the nfl you know other players from other leagues sometimes will walk around wwe is out here now um, they're promoting uh, the the road to WrestleMania, so I think there's a lot of things going on in Vegas. So I mean, it's a, it's truly the city that never sleeps. You've done an amazing job covering sort of like the convergence of sports, entertainment, and pop culture. The halftime show, it's Usher. And I, I, listen, I mean, if you if you got a chance to see him in Vegas, I mean, you got to see the the full real show. I'm still bummed I didn't get a chance to do that. We'll see what he does at halftime. Um. Your thoughts on that halftime show and the expectation around? It's going to be absolutely amazing. I mean, I saw something where Jermaine Dupree is actually working on the show as well. Obviously, longtime producer, collaborator. Um, so I think the show is going to be absolutely bananas. You, you want to be in your seat if you're at home. You want to be on the couch with your feet up and a beer in your hand because you're definitely going to get a show. I had a chance to watch his residency as well as when he performed at Dodger Stadium for the, the uh, Diamond Blue Gala. And he's absolutely incredible. Now he's going on tour with two dates in Los Angeles at, and at the Intuit Dome, which is the Clippers' new home, which is going to be very interesting to watch Usher uh, usher himself into that facility. But, I mean, he's got a clothing line that he's partnered with Mitchell and Ness here uh, for the week. So those fans who are here in Vegas, um, get your Usher gear because uh, it's going to sell out really quickly. We would be remiss if we did not ask you a little bit about the Lakers, your favorite topic. Listen, Nick, it was, it was a year ago in Phoenix where I'm at the Super Bowl hotel and I hear about the trade and we were joking, like, they can't get rid of that Russ contract. And they did. And they got D'Angelo Russell. They got Jared Vanderbilt. Prior to that, that they got Rui Hachimura. They put together a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. Yes, they got swept, but I don't think anyone thought that team would go on that run. Is there a move that they can make? That can, I mean, listen, the, the goal for the Lakers isn't just to get to the conference finals, but quite frankly, when you're 500, that's a good thing. Your thoughts on the Lakers and can they do something before the trade, trade deadline to change the trajectory of this team? You know, Arash, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's been talk about trading D'Angelo Russell. I know they've tried, they, they've 
teetered around Austin Reeves, obviously trying to get some moves made with that. Um, maybe Murray out of Atlanta. I know that was a topic, but I don't know anything major that can really happen with this team. I think this team is exactly who they are. They're going to have to sit back and figure it out. Maybe make a few tweaks here and there. Vanderbilt has been absolute trash. Um, he has not performed up to the hype of what we've seen him to do. So I think like I got tell people all the time. I told you a year, a year ago on your show, the Lakers are done winning championships. There, there are a play in tournament type of team. LeBron is still great. He's still performing at a, at a sensational level. Anthony Davis surprisingly has not been injured and has been playing, um, which I'm very happy about. I want to see Anthony Davis succeed. I think he's a phenomenal player. We've all said he's a top four, top three player when he's healthy. Um, so I think. The Lakers are going to have to figure it out. Everybody's calling for Darvin Ham's job, but Darvin Ham's got to figure it out. He's got himself in this mess. He's got to get himself out. We need to give him time to figure it out because um, the Lakers are not winning championships anytime soon. Last question for you. Um, listen, I think we've all been wondering with the, the talent that the Clippers have, can they figure it out? Seems that they have. However, we've seen them have good regular seasons. That being said, Nick, I mean, they've never been the one seed. They're, they're currently the one seed. The Clippers, with all the talent that they have, and again, we've talked about this for many years, and they've never gotten to the finals. Obviously, they've never won. Your thoughts on the Clippers, and can this collection of local talent lead them to a championship? Well, you know, I'm L.A. through and through, but they seem to be the Baltimore Ravens of the NBA. They have great regular seasons, but when it comes to the playoffs, it's shakier than than a California earthquake. And so I think their main concern is just health. If they can stay healthy, James Harden has been absolutely phenomenal. We were, we were suspect when they went 0 6 when they made the trade. They turned it around. I think Ty Lue's done an outstanding job. He should be in the contention for coach of the year at this point in time. And I think everything is contingent upon the health of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. If they can do that, I think they got a chance to really go deep, uh, in the Western Conference. The only, the only foe are the Denver Nuggets and Jokic is on a tear this year. That's that's what I, I keep going back to, where I think that this team is going to get to the Western Conference Finals, but they're going to lose to the Denver Nuggets, um, which that's my, I don't think it's a hot take. That's a hot, uh, that's a hot take. Um, I think it would be amazing, though, in their last year at Crypto.com Arena, if the Clippers can win a title, and then when they move into Intuit Dome, hang a banner. But like, what do you think? The unfortunate thing is, even if they won a banner, most Angelinos wouldn't care because this is a Dodger and Laker town. I'm, and if the Rams can figure it out, it'd be the Rams or USC if USC figures it out. It's always been that way. So, I mean, I hope the Clippers do well. I like Paul George. I like, you know, seeing the hometown guys, Russell Westbrook and, 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 you know, James Harden, those boys, Kawhi. I would love to see them win, you know, Norman Powell and those boys. So it, it's a definite possibility. I, I think they can at least, if they don't beat Denver, it could be a seven game series. Won't get swept, and I know Nick will be smiling when I say that. Uh, but yeah, folks, here Super Bowl Radio Row. We'll be back here all this week. Um, just been uh, great to kind of catch up with so many people. All right, folks, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Let's do this again tomorrow, live from Las Vegas, Super Bowl Radio Row. This is Arash Markaz saying, stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.